How are y'all doing this morning? Good. As Richard said, my name is Ian. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Veritas, and it's a joy to be with you guys this morning. Uh, we are in the middle of our series, The Life of Jesus, where we are looking at the life of Jesus, right? Like, not super complicated. Uh, but as we've been going through it, we've looked at some really sweet stuff so far. Uh, we've seen the birth of Jesus. Uh, we've seen uh, Jesus' baptism. We've seen Jesus be tempted. Uh, and it's been really cool to see some of these events in Jesus' life. Uh, and then uh, we've also not just seen events in Jesus' life. We've also seen, uh, we've seen some of the things about Jesus through the events in his life. We've seen his character, his personality. Like last week, uh, we learned about anger. Was anyone else convicted about anger and looking at the life of Jesus? A couple honest people in here. Good. Um, I was, uh, I have noticed a lot of anger in my life recently. Uh, I don't know if it's lack of sleep with having a newborn, but just my temper has been a lot higher than normal, especially with my kids and family. And so uh, hearing about Jesus's anger and what godly anger is and is not was extremely challenging. Uh, we've seen, so we've seen his anger. We've seen uh, his identity that he is God uh, and we've seen his compassion. We've seen some really sweet stuff about who Jesus is as we've been going through the life of Jesus. And this morning we're going to continue and we're going to be looking at the life and de- the life of Jesus by looking at the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I'm going to say something that shouldn't be come as a surprise to you guys, uh, but uh, we're in church after all. But the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in human history. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in human history. Like, this is the big one, right? Like, we talk about the birth of Jesus. We love Christmas. Christmas is great. Uh, the baptism of Jesus is this really cool time where we get to see the heavens split open and God talking to Jesus. And it's really cool. But, like, when we talk about the most important event in Jesus' life, we're talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Like the death and resurrection, that's the whole thing that our entire faith is based off of. Without the death and resurrection, there is no faith. There is no following Christ if he does not die and come back to life. You can see that clearly in scripture, especially in 1 Corinthians. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 makes this really clear to us. I'm going to read a couple verses for you guys, starting in verses 3 through 4. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Skip down a few verses to verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Guys, there's nothing more important to your faith than the death and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, you don't have faith without the death and resurrection of Jesus. Like without Jesus dying, there's no forgiveness of sins. And without him raising, our faith is pointless. And we have no reason to be here this morning. The death and resurrection of Jesus is important. It is what leads to our salvation. It's what causes our salvation. And some of us, like, I want to just sit in that for a moment. Before we go any further this morning, I want us to just sit in that for a moment. That if you're a Christian in this room this morning, it is because Jesus died and he rose. 
If you're a Christian, it is because Jesus died and he rose. He took your sin on the cross, died, took your penalty of sin, was buried, and three days later rose victoriously up from the grave. And we need to remember that. We need to be reminded of the good news of that. Like I was reading Psalm 103 this morning. I just want to read it for you because uh, it just like it reminded me how important this is. And it was a good reminder to my soul. It says this in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fears him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Christian, this, this is what the death and resurrection of Jesus should stir up in you. That you should bless the Lord because of what he has done. That he has saved you. He doesn't treat you, it says later in Psalm 103, he does not treat you as your sin deserves. But like a father, he has compassion. He forgives. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, you have life. And if you're not a Christian in the room, I just want, I want you to hear this this morning, that Jesus really died for you, that you had sin that separated from you from God, but Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead so that you could be restored back to God. And there's nothing more important than that for you this morning. That you would know that and not just know it with your mind, but you would know it with your heart, that you would believe it. That you would trust it, that you would have faith in that. Because the death and resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our faith as followers of Jesus. And while that is extremely true, I want to look at something else this morning. Because it's really easy to start looking at the death and resurrection of Jesus and be like, yeah, we, we know that, we've heard that before. We want to be reminded of it, but I also want us to look at what if the death and resurrection of Jesus isn't just the foundation of our faith? Like, what if there's more to it than that? Like, what if there's more implications to Jesus dying on the cross and being raised to life than just us having eternal life with God forever? Granted, that is true, and we want to rejoice in that. But what if it means more for us? What if Jesus' death actually shows us how to live? What if the way Jesus trusted God leading up to his death and resurrection actually shows us how we can trust in God? That's really where we're going to spend most of our time at this morning. We're going to do it by being in Matthew 26. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll camp out there for most of the time. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew's account of the gospel, okay? We're going to be in Matthew's account of the events leading up to Jesus' death. And honestly, we're going to primarily just look at the events that lead up to Jesus being crucified and uh, then raised back to life. Um, and we're not going to read all of this narrative. Uh, chapter 26, 27, and 28 is 151 verses. Don't know if you want to listen to me read for that long. Um, but I encourage you guys, like, spend time this week reading those three chapters. Like, just mark that in your notebook right now. Underline that in your Bible right now if you need to. Read Matthew 26, 27, and 28. 
If we believe that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in human history, we better be familiar with it, right? So read it this week, get comfortable with it, get familiar, but we're going to start in chapter 26 and we're going to look at some of the events leading up to Jesus's death that show us how we can actually live like Jesus lived. And so we're going to start just right at the beginning, chapter 26, starting in verse one. It says, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the son of man will be delivered up to be crucified. And then when we skip down a few verses, I want us to start seeing something about Jesus as we're reading here. It says, now then, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for the for barrier, burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in her memory. So the first, what I want us to do is we're reading through this chapter. I want us to see a few things that are true about Jesus as he approaches death. And this is the first one, that Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus knew that death was awaiting him. We see it in the first two verses. He says, Passover is coming. Son of man will be delivered up to be crucified. And then we see it later on in that account with the woman. Uh, the disciples are angry because she pours out this expensive ointment on Jesus and anoints him. And he gets upset with his disciples, it seems like. And he's like, why are you so mad? Like, she's done a beautiful thing. She's prepared me for burial. And what has to happen before you're buried? Come on, guys. What has to happen before you're buried? You have to die, right? At least I hope. <laughs> That's one of my biggest fears of just being buried alive. I don't know why. Um, but you have to die in order to be buried. And so Jesus is showing here that he knows what is about to happen to him. He knows what's about to be, take place. And we see this not just here in the gospel, Matthew, but Matthew uh, accounts Jesus predicting his death three other times earlier in the gospel of Matthew. We see it in chapter 16 and 17, and then again in chapter 20. I'll read chapter 20's account for you, uh, just because it's the most explicit. It says, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. The first thing I want you to see about Jesus as he is approaching his death is he knows that it's coming. And that shouldn't surprise us. We know that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is God. It's not a huge surprise that Jesus knows what's about to happen. But when we look at a couple other things in just a moment, it makes him knowing even more miraculous to me. It makes him knowing even more challenging to me. And so let's keep reading uh, Matthew 26. We're going to jump forward to verse 36. And we're going to see what else can we see about Jesus. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. 
Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Anyone ever fall asleep while praying? No, a couple, one honest person, couple honest people. Okay, uh, maybe it's just me. I have a newborn at home, and so our sleep is all kinds of jacked up. There have been a few nights recently uh, where I've been praying, and I just wake up, and I'm like, well, I hope that was a good prayer, because I have no idea what happened, God. Uh, newborn life is tough. <laughs> uh, but what I, one of the things that was really challenging to me about just this part of the passage is Peter, Okay. Like we see Peter, like he's in the garden. Jesus invites his disciples into the garden with him. Then he takes Peter, James, and John with him to go pray a little bit further. And then he asks them specifically, pray for me while I go and pray. And so he asked Peter to be praying. And right before this, he had just told Peter and the disciples, hey, you guys are going to scatter. You're not going to stand with me. And Peter likes like, whatever, Jesus, like, I will stand by you forever. Even if it leads to my death, I will not leave you. I will not betray you. I will not flee from you. I am with you until the end. And then we get to this part in the garden. Jesus just says, hey, pray, pray for me, pray with me. And Peter can't even stay awake. And I was just really challenged by that because Peter was so convinced and so confident that he would follow Jesus to his death Yet he couldn't even stay awake to pray for him. And I guess I was just really challenged because like I used to have these grand ideas of like, man, if it was either death or renounce Jesus, I'd choose death. No way I'm going to renounce Jesus. Are you kidding me? Like he died for me. Why wouldn't I die for him? And I have that mentality. Yet when I look at the way that I live, I'm just like, man, I'm way more like Peter than I think. Like I'm way more confident than I should be in myself thinking I would die for Jesus, yet I I don't even live well for him. Like, I can't even be kind to my kids when they make me angry. I can't even be patient. I can't even treat my wife the way that Christ has called me to treat her. What makes me think I would die for Jesus? I don't know. I was just really challenged by that as I was reading and studying this week. And just want you guys to consider, like, we can be so quick to say, yeah, I'll follow Jesus no matter what. And then we're just like Peter and we can't even stay awake while we pray. And we just let the worries of life take over. We let the way we want to live take over the way Jesus called us to live. And so I I was challenged by that. um, But I want to keep reading through uh, this account of Jesus praying in the garden. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So Jesus is praying in the garden before he is arrested. And do you guys catch what he prays here? He is praying to God, his father, saying, God, if you will, let this cup pass from me. Now, this cup is in reference to Jesus' suffering. He, remember, he knows what's going to happen. He knows that he's about to be betrayed, arrested, beaten, mocked, crucified. 
He knows all this is about to take place. And so he goes to God and he prays, God, if you will, please don't let this happen to me like this. Like, please don't let me suffer in this way. And the thing that I, like, we see from this prayer that there is a part of Jesus that didn't want it to happen this way. There is a part of Jesus that didn't want it to happen this way. Part of him that didn't want to be betrayed by one of his close friends. Part of him that didn't want to be arrested, beaten, mocked. Part of him that didn't want to be crucified. There's a part of him that didn't want to be accused of blaspheming against his father. And I reckon there is a part of him that didn't want to take on the entire wrath of God. Like that's what we see Jesus praying here. If you will, take this cup away from me. Like if there's another way, please make it happen. And we see through Jesus's prayer here that he preferred that there'd be another way for God to be reconciled to his people again. So we see that leading up to Jesus' death that he knew it was going to happen. And we also see that he preferred that it would happen a different way. And as we keep going, we see something else um, that I want you guys to notice. He knew it was going to happen. He preferred for it to happen another way. And then we see in just a moment... um, a third part that I think challenges us in how we can trust and obey God. And it comes right after he's been arrested. And so Judas comes and betrays him. Uh, He hands him over. The guards grab a hold of him. Peter takes out his sword, cuts off a guard's ear, which is either really impressive or just really pathetic. I'm not sure which one. Like either he was going for the ear and he nailed it, or he was going for a kill shot and is just terrible with a sword. I'm going for that one. Peter doesn't impress many people. So uh, we'll just say he's not good with a sword. But he cuts off a dude's ear. And then uh, this is what Jesus says. Starting in verse 52, he says, Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? What Jesus is saying here is wild. He's like, hey, Peter, you think you're going to change anything with the sword? You don't think I can control this? You don't think I'm in charge of what is happening? You don't think that I have enough power to get me out of this situation? I could go to God right now and he'd send down 12 legions, which is about 72,000 angels. You don't think 72,000 angels could wipe the floor with some of these guards here? What Jesus is telling Peter right now is that I'm in control. I have the power to change what is happening if I want to. And so I want back up because I want you guys to see these three things next to each other. Jesus knew that he was going to die. He preferred that it would happen a different way. And he had the power to change it. He knew it was going to happen. He didn't really want it to happen that way. And he had the power to make it happen a different way. And so my question is, why does Matthew 27 happen? Why is he still beaten? Why is he still flogged? Why is he still crucified? Why does he still end up dead in a tomb? Because if it's me, like let's say, uh, let's say someone tells me, hey Ian, you're going to get hit by a semi truck on your way back into Cedar Rapids today. Okay, now I know. That's, that's the first part. I don't want to die yet. Like I kind of like my family. I wouldn't mind having lunch with them this afternoon. So I don't really want it to happen. And I have other routes that I can take to get home. So if I know it's going to happen, 
I don't want it to happen and I have a different way of getting home. Do you think I'm getting hit by a semi today? No, I'm not going to get hit by a semi. I'm going to take a different route. I'm not going to go that way. If I know it's happening, I have the power to change it and I don't want it to happen. It's not happening. But Jesus knows what's going to happen, preferred that it wouldn't happen this way, has the power to change it, yet he doesn't. Yet he still ends up dying. And so why does it happen? And more importantly, what is he trying to show us through it happening to? I think he's showing us what it looks like to really trust God. I think he's showing us what it looks like to really trust in our heavenly father. And I think a lot of us, we would say, yeah, I trust God. Like if I were to ask, do you trust God? You'd say, yeah. Even if I asked why, I bet you'd even give me some really good reasons why. You would, maybe like he died on the cross for my sins. Or I've seen him show up so many times in my life. And we say, why do you trust God? It's pretty easy to say why. But what if we asked a different question? What if it wasn't, do you trust God? But how do you trust God? What does your life look like that shows that you trust God? Because it's one thing to say you trust God and it's a whole nother thing to display that trust. Like I can say that I trust my kids to not ride their scooters into the road in front of our house. Do I trust them? No, they're toddlers. I don't trust them at all. I park my car halfway down the driveway so they hit that instead of an oncoming traffic. I don't trust my kids and it shows because I put my car in our driveway. It's one thing to say that you trust God, but it's a whole nother thing to display it. And Jesus is showing us what it looks like to display trust in God the Father. And we see this all throughout this chapter too. Like look at verse 24. In verse 24, he says, the son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the son of man is betrayed. He says, uh, he goes as it is written of him. He knows that it is what God has already decided. In verses 39, he says, and going a little bit further, he fell on his face saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then again in 42, he says, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. He's more concerned about obeying the father and doing the father's will than his own. And then again in 54, we see him say, but how then should scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? He's more concerned about being faithful to the word of God than anything else. That's what we see Jesus doing as he approaches his death. We see what a life of trusting God the Father looks like. We see that he wanted to obey God more than anything else. And we actually see that him obeying God and wanting to obey God is actually what he wanted most in life. Even more than avoiding death on the cross. Philippians 2 puts it this way. Philippians 2 says it like this. He says, starting in verse eight, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, the father. 
And actually, we could even go up a little bit further. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. That's what we see Jesus do here. We see him becoming obedient to the will of the Father, even though it means him denying himself. Denying his godness, coming to earth, living a perfect life to die the death that we deserved. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus, that's how much Jesus trusted God, that he was willing to become obedient, even to the point of a terrible death on a cross. And so church, does that characterize your life? Like, is that the level of trust that you have? That you're willing to say no to what you want, to say yes to what God wants. And I know like that's really hard for us. Like that's really hard for me. Especially like here in America where we're so individualistic in the way that we view life. Where everything is about us. It's about us and our family. It's about our happiness, what we can get for ourselves. We, what things can we buy with our money for us? What can I do with my time? And we're just so focused on ourselves that the idea of saying no to what we want willingly, like it makes no sense to most of us. It's a completely foreign concept that we would say no to what we want. But that's the call of the Christian. That's what, that's what Jesus did and that's what he is calling us to do. And so is your life showing a life of trust in God? Are you saying no to the things you want in order to say yes to the things that God wants? Is what you want actually the things God wants? Because that's what a life of trust to God looks like. And we're so used to calling the shots in our life that we don't realize that that's not the call of the Christian. The call of the Christian is to die. The call of the Christian is to submit yourself like Paul says it this way in Galatians, uh, he says it in two, a couple different spots. In Galatians 2.20, he says it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And then later on in chapter 5, verse 24, he says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul is using the exact same language of the way that Jesus died, crucifixion. He's saying the call of the Christian life is to crucify your flesh in order to live for God. To crucify yourself so that Jesus can live in you and through you to the world. The life of a Christian, the life of showing a life trusting God is a life of dying to yourself in order to have Jesus live in you. That's the call of the Christian. You know, as followers of Jesus, there's dying involved. There's crucifixion happening. As followers of Jesus, we are called to follow Christ in his dying. Now, we're not going to be asked to die for the sins of the world, right? Like Jesus already did that and that was sufficient, amen? And a lot of us, we're not probably even going to be put in the scenario where we're even going to be asked to die physically for Jesus. But 
if you are a Christian, if you claim the name of Jesus, there is a death that needs to be happening. And it is a daily death to yourself in order to live for Christ. If you claim to be a Christian, there needs to be a daily death to yourself so that you can live for Christ. And so I think the question then becomes, why, why should we do that? Why should we do that? Because that's a lot to do, right? Like that is a lot to ask. You want me to die to what I want? You want me to give up my desires? You want me to give up my plan? You want to give me to give up my idea for the future? God, that's a lot to ask. Why should I do that? Why should I trust you in that way? Because we know that even though he's calling us to die, he's also calling us to really live. That he's calling us to a death, but he's also calling us to a life that we can't have without dying to self. He's calling us to a resurrection because when it comes, what comes after Jesus' death? Church, what comes after Jesus' death? His resurrection. He comes back to life. Jesus doesn't stay dead. He follows God, God, Jesus follows God even to his death because he knows what awaits him. He knows that through his death, something better is coming. Like we see this clearly in Matthew 26 too. We see as he's being questioned after his arrest, he's being questioned uh, by the council. And this is what he says in verses 63 and 64. It says, but Jesus remained silent. He's being questioned to ask all these things. He remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. But listen to this. He says, but I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of, the, of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He knew what was coming. He knew where he was going to be. He knew he was going to be at the right hand of the father. Hebrews 2 says that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Jesus knew what was coming next. Yes, God sent Jesus to earth so that he could die on the cross to bring humanity back to God. But Jesus knew death wasn't the end. Jesus knew that God loved him, that God was good, that God's plan was good. And so Jesus trusted God. He trusted in the goodness of God and he knew where it would lead him. And so Christian in the room, do you have that same trust? Not just trust that shows up in how you live, but do you actually trust in the goodness of God? Because the reason we can say yes to dying to ourselves and living for Christ is because that we trust that what God is going to call us to is good no matter what. That even when it is hard, even when dying to yourself is hard, we know that God is good. That the God who called us to this death is a good God. That his plan for us is good. His plan is for his glory. And ultimately, if our faith is in Christ, we know that this life isn't the end. We know that there is a resurrection coming. We know that there is an eternity with God to be had forever. And so we can trust God with our life because he is a good God. He is a good God with good plans. 
And he promises us resurrection with him in eternity. You see, Jesus showed his trust for God by him being willing to submit to God, to obey God, even to the point of death. And that's what trust for God in our life should look like. That's what should characterize our life of trust is submission to God. Or you could say it this way, your submission to God displays your trust in God. Your submission to God displays your trust in God. And guys, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Like anytime the word crucifixion is involved, you know it's not going to be easy, right? It's not always going to be fun. It's not going to be the thing that we want to do always in our flesh, but it should be what we want to do in our spirit. Because as Christians, we should want to obey God more than anything else because we know that he is the prize, that he is greater than anything else. And when we say yes to God and are dying, we know that we're also being raised to life with him. Philippians 3 says it this way. Philippians 3 verses 8 through 11. It says, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Following Jesus is hard. Dying to self hurts. It is not going to be easy and it may lead to your suffering. But church, it is worth it. Because it is through our suffering in obedience to Christ It's through our dying to self that we get to experience more and more the power of the resurrection. That we get to know more and more the person of Jesus. And that we get promised a future inheritance with him forever. So we can say yes to obeying God in this life because we know that we get to live with him in the next life. We get to submit ourselves here because we know that we get to be with him in eternity. Church, your submission to God displays your trust in God. And so this week, there's a few things that you need to do from this. Some of you, if you don't know Jesus, you need to trust in him. You need to trust in God for the first time. You need to say, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And that Jesus is that savior who died on the cross, took my sin and rose from the grave so that I could have life forever. If you're not a Christian in this room, if you don't follow Jesus, I plead with you, repent and believe. Believe the gospel that Jesus really lived, he really died, and he was really raised so that you could be with God forever. Trust in God. For the Christian in the room, you also need to trust in God. Maybe not for your salvation, but maybe you need to trust in the goodness of God. You need to trust that what God is asking you to do is actually the best thing for you to do. Because we have a good God, a God who can be trusted, 
Even when we don't feel like it, we know that he is good and he is trustworthy because he has proved it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So trust in the goodness of God this week. And as you trust in the goodness of God, display your trust in God by dying to yourself. Display your trust in God by dying to yourself. I know as you're listening to this, because even as I talk, I'm reminded of all the things in my life that I need to be dying to. Like even looking back at this week, like I told you earlier, I've been struggling with anger a lot. Struggling with lack of patience. And all that is, is that comes from like pride and that comes from a need to control things that are beyond my control. And I need to die to myself in that. I need to die to my pride. I need to die to my desire for control. So what do you need to die to? What do you need to die to, to display your trust? Because when I'm not dying to those things, I'm saying that I trust myself more than I trust God. I'm saying I trust what I can do more than I trust what God is asking me to do. So where do you need to die? Some of you, maybe you need to die to your pride. Maybe there's pride in your life showing up that you need to die to. Maybe there's comfort that you need to die to this week. A comfort that's keeping you from sharing the gospel with your coworkers or family or neighbors. You just don't want to get uncomfortable with them. Maybe God's calling you to die to your comfort this week. Maybe there's some greed that needs to die. Greed that's showing up and you're overworking and undergiving. And you need to die to your love of money this week. Maybe there's lusts of the flesh, desires of the eyes that you need to die to. Church, what is it in your life that you need to die to this week? Write it down. Like, don't just think about it. Write it down so that you can be reminded this week to die to yourself because you trust God. So trust in God, trust in his goodness, display that trust by dying to self. And then as you do those things, remind yourself of the resurrection. Remind yourself of the resurrection because the resurrection is what makes all of this worth it. Remember, without the resurrection, our faith is futile. It it amounts to nothing. But because Jesus rose, we can have faith. And because Jesus rose, we know that our dying to self is worth it because we too will rise to life with God in eternity. And there is nothing better than that. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the life that we have in him. Life that we don't deserve, life that we can't earn on our own, but life that you freely give through the death of your son and through his blood. God, may we be people that as we see Jesus' death and resurrection, we don't just see it as an event that happened, but we see it as a way of living. That we would die to ourselves in order to live for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.